We've been going through the Psalms, and we are at a beautiful Psalm uh, today, and Dave used part of Psalm 95 to call us to worship. I think, at least in my experience, it is the most frequent call to worship. Verses 6 and 7a. Lord willing, we'll cover all the verses of Psalm 95 this morning. Let's stand. I'll be using the New American Standard Bible. Hear God's Word is holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms for The Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for it was He who made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me. Though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, Truly they shall not enter into my rest. So far, God's word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless us. We pray that you would open our hearts. We pray that our hearts would not be hard. You would soften our hearts. May we receive the invitation, the joy, the celebration, the praise, the opportunities of Psalm 95, and to take its warning very seriously and to our hearts that they may be soft and may rejoice in you. And by your grace, and through the worship of the Lord and the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the Word, that we would know your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. If you have the outline there, you have, uh, the, you have two pictures. You can uh, shade in or color in if you have crayons or whatever. The, the bottom picture is... Um, Rather disturbing. It's a, it's a picture of supposed to be to remind us of the children of Israel in the in the wilderness, coming up to meet with Moses, and they are grumbling, yes, against Moses and Aaron, but really grumbling against God. They are not very happy people. 
And Moses, in the, in the picture above, an indication uh, to remind us of the story that Moses was told to strike the rock. The rock was, was there in Exodus 17, and, and Moses was told to strike the rock that the Lord said, I will, I will be above the rock. I'll be there. <laughs> Psalm 95 talks about God being the rock of our salvation. Jesus, 1 Corinthians says that Jesus followed them in the desert. He was the rock that was with them. And, and so he was struck in a sense and the, as the rock was struck, and then water, the water of life, flowed for them in the desert, uh, picturing Jesus and the shedding of his blood. Exodus 17, grumbling. God would stand there, and God would say, strike the rock. Masa, it is called. Meribah, this place is called in the desert. Contention and strife, testing and quarreling. You have Exodus 17, and then you, then you have Numbers 14, and, and, and Psalm 95 sort of moves in both of those places uh, because uh, when he does finally say, you, you will not go into the land, you who have turned against me and grumbled against me, you will not go into the promised land. At that point, he says, you've tested me ten times. Well, this, this is the first one as far as I can tell. Uh, so you have Exodus 17 in the Old Testament, and you have Numbers, Exodus 17, Numbers 14, then you have Psalm 95, and then in the New Testament you have Hebrews 3 and 4, which is really a, a sermon on all of this. Spurgeon says this, it says Psalm 95 is an invitation to worship. It has about it a ring like that of church bells. Like the bells of the church, it sounds both merrily and solemnly. First ringing out a lively peal and then dropping to a funeral knell as if tolling the funeral of that generation which perished in the wilderness. I've said before, particularly as we've started going through psalms, that, that I, I see the psalms as being a barbell uh, that connects the psalms and, and wisdom literature in general, but the psalms that connects the history of the Old Testament and, and then the worship and the fulfillment in the New Testament. And this, this is a perfect example of that because you, you have the grumbling uh, in the Old Testament and then the psalm explains it. And, and calls us to worship, and then Hebrews explains not only what Psalm 95 is talking about, but what happened in Exodus 17 and Numbers 14. So we start out, it's a, it's a simple structure for the psalm, and you could divide it into two parts. I've, I've divided it into three parts. The first part is what we know so well, it's an invitation to worship. So if you, if you want a call to worship, if, if, you, if, you, ha, if you need to, uh, to devise a worship service and you're going to look at the different parts of the worship service and say, well, we need a call to worship. And we can tell people, hey, y'all, come worship. But it'd be sure, it sure would be nice if we could find something in the Bible that calls us to worship. Well, you'll probably think about Psalm 95. You might have to look it up on your phone to find where it is. But you, you, you'll probably 
think about this. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Verse 1, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And when he says rock, he's already thinking about the wilderness. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. And then verse 6, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So there is our invitation. And then you move into, you have there in verses 3 through 5 and 7a, a reason to RSVP. God speaks to all of us today, has already done so as, as Dave read the call to worship. And, and the Lord says, come to me and worship. Now why should we respond? Psalm 95 gives us two huge reasons to RSVP to this invitation. Verses 3 through 5, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks are of the mountains are His also, the sea, for He made it, and the, His hands formed the dry land, so it's it's basically saying as high as you want to go, as low, far into creation as you want to go down, as far you know, east or west. This creation, why do we want to worship God? <laughs> because he's the one who holds you in his hand. Because he made everything. Because he is the creator. He is God. With a, without a relationship with us, he is God. He is God the creator. You should worship him. That's enough basis to worship. But then 7a says there's a, a more personal thing. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. He is our God. He's not just the creator. He, he's our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Is that a mixture of illustrations? I'm not sure if I understand. But I know what it means. It means we belong to him. It means he takes care of us. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's our God. This is where when we're, when we're going through the catechism and, um, and, and we answer questions, I think this is where some of these uh, answers come from. What doth the preface to the Ten Commandments teach us? Preface to the Ten Commandments says, I am, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Well, what does it teach us? The preface to the Ten Commandments teacheth us that because God is the Lord and our God and Redeemer, see, it's the two parts here of Psalm 95, therefore we are bound to keep all his commandments. Question 46. What is required in the first commandment? The first commandment requireth us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify Him accordingly. What is forbidden in the first commandment? The first commandment forbiddeth the denying or not worshiping and glorifying the true God as God and our God. At some point, Daddy was asked, along with everybody else in, in our home church, he was asked to write down something about his testimony. There, we certainly learned later that there were different ways to answer that question, um, and the details of that we didn't get until he turned 85. But as part of that, he said that he, when he, from the time he was a little boy, 
and, and I've, I've got, a, got a letter, he, uh, the words to a letter he wrote to his mother when he was uh, eight years old, talking about how you, you needed to go to church and so forth. But when he, when, from the time he was a little boy, he said he knew that God was God. But it took him a long time in the church, regularly attending church, participating in the church as a little boy. Took him a long time to recognize that Jesus died. He he said he knew that Jesus died for for believers. He died for us all. He, John three sixteen. He he had that, but he it took him a long time to understand that Jesus died for him. And that's possible for any one of us. Um. I ask you what you believe, you say, well, I believe in Jesus, or, or even, I believe in God, well, that, that, I believe in God, according to what you mean by that, that's not necessarily a Christian testimony. Um, we can be here, and, and we can be here for years, worshiping the Lord, and yet, in our hearts, not really belonging to Him. So there's a third part. A severe warning against religiosity. And that is attached to this first part of Psalm 95. A severe warning against being in the vicinity of Christ, but without being in Christ. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah. In the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart. They do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter my rest. Matthew Henry says this is an exhortation to those who sing gospel songs to live gospel lives. They were not convinced of the evil of sin, Mr. Henry says, or of their danger by reason of sin, and therefore they regarded not the offer of salvation. Let, let's look at Exodus 17. I'd like to ask you to turn to Exodus 17. Exodus 17. While you're turning there, I'll tell you about verse 1. There was no water for the people to drink at this point. Now, I have all the quarreling and grumbling words highlighted in pink in my Bible, and it stands out. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm thankful it stands out. Verse 2, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people a little more, and they will stone me? Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff, with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. 
and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah. And you may have different words there, test, quarrel, contention, strife. Because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? And then if you would, turn over in Exodus, go through Leviticus and go over to, to, go to Numbers. Numbers chapter 14. And this is at the time of the spies. Verse 19, Moses is praying for them as they've rejected the plan to go in and did not have that faith except for, you know, Joshua and Caleb. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word, but indeed as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb, and so forth. So the Lord took them through the wilderness... But they did not make it to rest in the promised land. So, how does this apply to us? Matthew Henry says, what? To tempt him in the wilderness where we, where we live upon him? This is as ungrateful as it is absurd and unreasonable. So, are we treacherous? Are you treacherous? Do you look like you're dependable? but not really interested in Christ. For whatever reason, you may be here this morning or be on, online uh, watching this morning. Are you here under false pretenses? I heard a testimony last night over the radio. I would recommend to you such programs as Unshackled on WYFG, Bible Broadcast Station 91.9, Gaffney, um, about a man who went down front at the time of uh, the pastor calling for those who would want to be saved. And he went down front to please his Sunday school teacher and to please his mother. But he says, he said, under false pretenses. We can do that. This, this is part of the nature of the visible church in which we live. We, we can take attendance if, if we wanted to. We can see one another. Um, we can't see one another's hearts. But the Lord can. The Lord stands before us on the rock as he provides the water that is Jesus Christ. What is the visible church? The visible church is a society made up of all such as in all ages and places of the world do profess the true religion. That's the visible church. We, profess, we all profess to believe in Jesus Christ and of their children. 
church is made up of visible church. What about the invisible church? The invisible church is the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head. Um, Hebrews says that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Hebrews says that we should come before him, that they are... That, that, that the word is sharp and, and living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and he, sees, he sees us. You can't see my heart. You, you, you can't tell from the outside whether I'm on my way to glory. You can, you, you can examine me and see if I have a credible profession of faith. But we don't see hearts. But the word, the spirit discerns the heart. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Hebrews said, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. So if your life isn't going the way you want it to go and you, you, you want to make suggestions to Almighty God who runs the universe to change things, uh, don't grumble about it. Uh, bring, bring your requests before him. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, Hebrews says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, so check yourself. Examine yourself. That's what 1 Corinthians 11 says. We often use that as we come to the table. You are in the vicinity of Christ. Are you in Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Have you heard the call of John the Baptist there in the Jordan River? Two sinners. Every one of those people he was calling to, they were all, they were all part of the visible church on, on that side of the Jordan, on the Jericho side of the Jordan. But the question was, would they repent of their sins? And take Jesus as their Savior. And, and thereafter to live for him. Uh, old Spurgeon uh, gives us explanatory notes and quaint sayings. And then he gives us, he gives us hints to the village preacher. He's, he's just a great guy writing. And this, this, is, a, this is called the Treasury of David the, uh, the, about the Psalms. He quotes uh, three people that we can use to quote and pass on. Uh, three people who talk about the value of repentance right now. And I, I pass it on to you to say, if, if you haven't, same thing that Dave's already said today. <laughs> it's the same thing. Repent today. Today, if you hear his voice. Today. This is the day of, uh, of the gospel day to hear this. Uh, Mr. Mason says this, If we put off repentance another day, we have a day more to repent of and a day less to repent in. And then a man named Francis Quarles says this, interesting name for this, for this passage, he that hath promised pardon on our repentance, he, who, the one who's passed pardon when we repent, hath not promised to preserve our lives till we repent. 
And Thomas Fuller says this, you cannot repent too soon because you do not know how soon it may be too late. The very end of Pilgrim's Progress, which is not always printed anymore in Pilgrim's Progress, uh, has, as the author, has John Bunyan following Christian and hopeful to the very gates of glory. And, and, he, and he sees uh, in this celestial city, he sees the doors uh, open wide. He sees Enoch and Moses and Elijah standing above the door, looking down, and, and there are people coming to usher them in. Uh, and as they went into the gate, Christian and hopeful are transfigured, and they were dressed in garments that shone like gold. And they were met with those who gave them harps and crowns. The harps were given to them to offer praise, and the crowns were a token of honor. And I heard my, in my dream, Bunyan says, all the bells of the city ringing again for joy, and that it was said to the pilgrims to enter into the joy of your Lord. And they heard them praising, blessing, and glory, and honor, and so forth. And then he looks back, and he, and he sees another fellow. Uh, who is called ignorance coming up. And whereas you probably remember Christian Hopeful had a hard time getting through death, getting through the river uh, to get to, to the other side, especially Christian did. Well, ignorance doesn't have any problem. He has a buddy called Vain Hope, <laughs> who's a ferryman who zips him across. And then he comes on up and he's very confident. But he doesn't know Jesus. As his personal Lord and Savior. That's why he's called ignorant. It's not that he he's, he's doesn't, doesn't do well in math. It's he doesn't know Jesus. And he comes up and he thinks he's just going to get in. But nobody ushers him forward. And the gates are closed. And, and they asked him. The men at the door looking over the top of the gate said, Where did you come from? And what is your desire? And he said, I have eaten and drink. Dr- I have eaten and drank. That's the way... Bunyan writes back then, I have eaten and drank in the presence of the king, and he has taught in our streets. And then they ask him for his certificate. That is, that is his, his testimony of his belief, his repentance, his trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And, and he had nothing to say. There, there, was no, there was no certificate. There was no I'm not talking about a written piece of paper. It's, it's, it's testimony that he trusted in Jesus. He found none. He fumbled in his breast pocket and found none. And the men tending the gate said, Don't you have one? Ignorance had no answer, not even a word. So the men of the gate told the king, but he would not come down to see him. That's Jesus. Instead, he commanded the two shining ones who had conducted Christian and hopeful into the city to go out and take ignorance and to bind him hand and foot and have him taken away. At that, the two shining ones took him up and carried him through the air to the door that I saw at the side of the hill and put him in there. And I realized there was a way to hell even from the gate of heaven as well as from the city of destruction. So I awoke, and behold, it was a dream. For Bunyan, it's a dream. If we go through the motions of pretending to be believers, to be in the vicinity of Christ all our lives, always attending church, 
always going to Sunday school. But we've never given our lives to him. We've never repented. We've never recognized how horrible our sins are before him. That it caused him to go to the cross. If we never get to that point, it doesn't make any difference if you're Presbyterian, Methodist, Church of God, Independent, whatever it is. You're either in Christ or you're not. And you can get all the way to your deathbed. And if you do not accept him there, then there is no other remission for our sins. If you haven't come, come. If you have come, then take that positive encouragement from Hebrews. We've got a great high priest. He's prepared the way. Come forward. He says, enter into my worship now. And when the day comes, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Hear the gospel. Live the gospel. Rejoice in the gospel. Be confident in the gospel. Recognize that the gospel comes with that terrible, terrible warning.